I'm going to go to bed and put my Parmesan cheese back in the fridge. Yeah, good idea. I would recommend that. How's things? Eh, still coughing, but, you know, it's winter and I have a kid, so that's that's a given, right? Uh, every ounce of my being wants to get smug about how, oh, come on, I never get sick. You can't, you must be just, you know, weak of immune system, but I know that I will be paying this price in two to three years. Uh, one year. Try one year. Yeah, probably. That's true. So, uh... My office has opened a um, uh, San Francisco, well, strictly speaking, an Oakland office, which I guess is different enough from San Francisco that people from the area get perturbed if you confuse the two. Those California sensitivities. Indeed. Um, well, they've opened a uh, Oakland office, and the other day I was trying to get something accomplished with one of my coworkers out there, and he had said, oh, I have to go for a long lunch because all the executives are in town. And so, you know, always on vacation in California, blah, blah, blah. Uh, And then I finally caught up with him after his long lunch. This is already like roughly quitting time for me. And he says, oh, you know what? I can't uh, do a Google Hangout with you to work through this issue because we're all going to the Tesla factory for a tour right now. And I'm jealous. And I wish I could have gone. And I'm sad. They don't get free cars, you know. They just, you know see other cars being made i loved the bmw factory tour so much it was almost if not it probably was one of the highlights of that trip i thought it was phenomenally cool yeah did you see that video that uh that i think uh, greg put on twitter of the it's like a lathe uh, uh you know metal milling machine lathe thing oh my where... god yeah with the with the coolant coming out the the center no, of it no not that one he showed it it was that you know a lathe is just a thing that spins an item and usually you bring a tool close to it as it spins and you can shave off parts of it but this was a thing where the item spun and also the the cutting tool also moved in and out and up and down and it was making basically a crankshaft for an engine which you know it's not just i totally missed that yeah it was really cool because it's got you can imagine what a crankshaft looks like you you can't just lathe it out it's not uh rotationally symmetrical so it has to cut all that stuff like it's rotating the piece imagine just trying to cut like part of the part of a, a crankshaft that connects to the piston Right. While it's while the crankshaft is rotating along its normal rotational axis, the thing that cuts the piston, it has to trace that to make like it was amazing, amazing looking. I don't know if that's how all crankshafts are made, but I'm like, geez, if this is what it takes to make one crankshaft, no wonder no wonder internal combustion engines cost so much money. Seriously, was this uh, Greg Koenig? Yeah. I am I am thoroughly intrigued by this, and I, I follow Greg, so I'm surprised that I didn't notice it when it flew by. Maybe I declared bankruptcy that day or something. Ah, fair enough. How's everything else? So Marco's sick. John, you alive? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm, I'm too busy worrying about my, my children's health. My son has had a cough for a month now, Oy. somewhere in the middle, more than a month, somewhere in the middle of that. After several weeks, we took him to the doctor and they're like, no, he doesn't have, you know, bronchitis or pneumonia or any other thing that we can do anything about. And they just gave him an inhaler and sent him home. And it's like, he's still coughing. So now we're trying like Zyrtec, just like allergy medication on a theory that like somehow he's allergic to the change in seasons. And I don't know. Anyway, that, I spend most of my time worrying about them, but I'm I'm doing fine. Fisherman's friend. Oh, is that that cough like crazy cough drop thing that you like? Sucking on gross tasting things cures all colds. <laughs> it, it so okay. Basically, yes, they are my my crazy gross cough drops. The Fisherman's friend original, you know, red labeled variety. Uh, you can get them on Amazon even, which is nice. They basically have like the most menthol and the least sugar of of most cough drops. Like the problem with cough drops is basically that. They only really work when they're in your mouth. Once they're gone, they stop working almost immediately. And But they do work while you still have them. And so 
you kind of tend to have a lot of them when you're really coughing a lot and you kind of have to make it all day you tend to have a lot of cough drops in in one day and if you have the regular like you know big square ricola kind or things like that they your your mouth just gets so coated in sugar it's just disgusting your teeth get all slime it's just really gross in your mouth after a not that long of a time uh whereas fisherman's friend they're incredibly strong like very dense menthol flavor and uh, and there's a lot less sugar in them, and they look gross and they taste gross. They also, they, but they do. They come in a convenient little, um, like a little Ziploc pouch. So you can just keep that pouch in your pocket, so you don't have to like be unwrapping cough drops. And then, how, what do you do with these two wrappers that come around each one? And you got you have like a whole pocket full of spent cough drop wrappers. Like it, it avoids that whole problem too. So they're, they're good. Hmm. Uh, yeah, a friend of ours, uh, a neighbor slash friend. Uh, swore by whatever it is, the fisherman's friend that I guess you had recommended years ago, and so and because he has like a seasonal cough that just won't go away for months, and uh, and yeah, he told me that the it's the real deal that those are the only things that can get him from hack to keep him from hacking constantly. Yeah, I mean, like there, it, it's just menthol cough drops. Like, there's no secret ingredient. It's menthol cough drops, but menthol works, and. As far as I could tell from the basic research I did like a couple of years ago, it d- there doesn't seem to be like any kind of horrible side effect to using a bunch of menthol cough drops when you have a cough. Uh, so it th- it seems like it's a pretty good bet. It it is very effective when you have this kind of bronchial irritation. Nothing else really works to stop it. Like the, the you know treating treating it with like an inhaler and things can can solve the long term problem. But if you are coughing over the counter stuff like DXM syrup does not really affect this kind of cough. So, yeah, I'm, I'm an expert in coughing uh, in the last few years. <laughs> Only in the winter. 10,000 10, hours is all it takes, right? Just 10,000 hours of coughing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'll get there. Give me a few more years. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, so this is the video, John? Yeah, so if you go to like, you know, the three quarters of the way done, it's starting to take shape. Because what you really want to see is how does it carve out the little parts that connect to the pistons? Because those aren't along the rotational axis. And then you see mm-hmm. the thing rotating in the tool at the same time. It's It's, it's crazy looking. Oh, my. I mean, if you just want to watch the whole video, it can be kind of meditative to watch a 15-minute video of a machine building another part of a machine. Oh, God, that's intense. Wow, that is pretty damn cool. I want one of these uh, for for no reason. Just, I want it. I think it's bigger than your house. Oh, I'm sure it is. There's no doubt in my mind that it is, but I kind of want it. God, think of all the cool things I would never be able to figure out how to build. This is why Greg just has one of the niftiest jobs in the world. This is what like Man. when you when you're a software developer, anybody who like builds physical objects just blows your mind. Because like <laughs> yeah, we we so don't make true. anything. Like we just make bits move around. Like we make nothing. And so like the, the physical world like baffles us. It's it's this like mystic world that we we don't know how these things get here. They just get here. We can and we can complain about them. Don't include me in this. I know how things get here. I know where food comes from. <laughs> here we go. That's why you are royal and I am servile. No, food comes from square packages. All right, so we should probably start with some follow-up and uh, try to get this train back on the tracks. Uh, so Alex Howell wrote in to tell us about the Nintendo 3DS. So I believe that's your job, John, to tell us about this. Yeah, last show when we were talking about Nintendo Switch, uh, I was questioning whether, and we were all questioning, like, what does this mean for the 3DS for Apple, for Apple, for Nintendo's portable line? I did that mistake like three times in the last episode, too, saying Apple instead of <laughs> Nintendo. Easy to get them confused until they buy each other. Um, anyway... Uh, and I said, you know, I haven't been following this, so if someone knows, please send a link. So Alex Howell did. It's an interview with the president of Nintendo, who I still realize in my mind, I keep thinking is uh, Iwata, but he died, sadly, uh, his, his untimely death, I think, last year, or maybe it was already this year, I don't remember. Anyway, there's this new person whose name is uh, Tatsumi Kimishima, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, 
Kimishima. Yeah, I'm close. Um, and it's an interview. And the question from the interview is in Bloomberg. Question, will you discontinue 3DS? Answer from the president of Nintendo. Thanks to our software, the 3DS hardware is still growing. So that business still has momentum. And certainly, rather than being cannibalized by the Switch, we think the 3DS can continue in its own form. Which is a perfectly business-like answer that completely fits with Marco's <laughs> uh, suggestion on the last show, which is that they're just going to keep it going. If the Switch takes off, they can can it. If the Switch doesn't take off, then it, they'll be glad they kept it going. So that seems like what they're doing. Fair enough. Is that all our follow-up? Yeah, you guys are slacking off on the follow-up. I mean, it was a lot of Switch yeah, it's last all show. On this us. was the only. This is the only. Oh, the other follow-up I have item on the Switch is some random thing that I read that I don't have a link for. Um, was about uh, the Switch when you you know so you you pick it up and it's like a little thing you hold in your hand. It's got the little controllers that slide on the side. But if you're going to sit on your couch and do it, you put the Switch, which looks like a big you know sixteen by nine ish screen. You put that in in like a docking station. Looks kind of like a napkin holder. Right, it's like a little, a little uh, upright vertical thing that you slide the switch into. And something I read the other day was that when you put the switch in that docking station, one of the advantages to being docked, aside from obviously not running down the battery because the dock will be connected to power, is that the the switch itself becomes more powerful because the docking station provides additional cooling, allowing the internals to be at max, you know, to run at full tilt without hitting thermal limits. Huh which is really weird if you think about it. So it basically means when it's handheld, it won't be as powerful or as good. So does that mean like just frame rate will suffer or will it crank down the detail? And that's part of the game maker's API or whatever. But anyway, all the more reason for you to just keep it plugged into your TV and pretend like Nintendo was still making TV connected consoles instead of making really weird, much more powerful portable systems that you can also use on a TV. We are sponsored this week by Pingdom. Start monitoring your websites and servers today at pingdom.com slash ATP. You get a 14-day free trial and use offer code ATP at checkout. You will now, because of the holidays, get 50% off your first invoice. It used to be 20%. Now it's 50% off your first invoice as a holiday gift with code ATP. Pingdom makes the web faster and more reliable for everybody by offering powerful, easy-to-use monitoring tools and services for anybody who runs a website or a web service. So Pingdom can can, for example, monitor availability and performance of your server, database, or website from more than 70 global test servers. They can emulate visits to your site to check its availability as often as once every minute. It is also possible to monitor the availability of key interactions of your site with Pingdom, such as contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logging in, search functionality, and a lot more. And they know that stuff breaks on the internet all the time. Every month, Pingdom detects more than 13 million outages. So regardless of whether your web presence is a small website or a complete infrastructure, you need Pingdom to monitor its availability and performance. I use Pingdom. I've used them for years, since long before they were a sponsor since oh geez early tumblr days maybe eight years it is it is such a great service i use them for everything now and it's it's just been rock solid for me which is what you want out of a monitoring service <laughs> so all you need to do is give pingdom a url to monitor and optional conditions to check for you can do things like check for a certain string in the response or things like that uh, or just check to see if it's up and when Pingdom detects an outage, you'll be immediately alerted through whatever means you want. They have push notifications, emails, even text messages, which I rely on as kind of like the big backup of everything is the SMS. Uh, so you can be immediately alerted to fix the problem before it becomes a much bigger and more costly outage. You should not be learning that your site is down from random strangers on Twitter telling you so. You should know before the people on Twitter know. So check it out today. Go to pingdom.com slash ATP for a 14-day free trial. And to get, this time, 50% off your first invoice with offer code ATP. Once again, 
Pingdom.com slash ATP. Offer code ATP for 50% off your first invoice. Thank you very much to Pingdom for sponsoring once again. John, tell me what's going on with your keychain. Sounds like uh, there's trouble in Syracuse County. Yeah, so <laughs> Sierra situation. I upgraded my wife's iMac, 5K iMac to Sierra pretty quickly after release. And there, I think I mentioned on the show a few weird bumps with keychain stuff. And I'm like, well, that happens when you just did the upgrade and apps need to be reauthorized because they think something's different or the Apple built-in apps have, you know, updated themselves and now, you know, whatever. Like, that's, it's a common thing that happens after you upgrade that you have to do some stuff involving keychain. But here we are, I don't know how many months after Sierra was released, and I'm ready to call this a persistent problem that I can't attribute to data-related things because it happens on... You know, we all have accounts on our 5K. It happens on my account there, and it happens on her account. I don't know if it happens on the kids' account, but they probably don't have much stuff in their keychain. Uh, and this is what happens. So we'll all be using the computer. You know, People go up to it and switch to their account and do their stuff, and my son goes and changes his account and plays Minecraft, and my wife comes and changes to her account and does stuff, you know, whatever. You use the computer for a while, everything is fine. At a certain point, I think it's probably multiple days because we never turn this computer off. It's, it just goes to sleep, but it's never actually off or restarted. After... A couple of days, you get a little notification in the upper right-hand corner of the screen. Usually, again, I see it on my account or my wife's account, but that's probably because they're the one it's on most often. And it says, you need to create a new iCloud uh, security code. And the buttons on the notification dialog are create and later. If you hit later, it goes away. If you hit create, it opens the iCloud preference pane and then does nothing. Like, it doesn't do anything in the iCloud uh, preference pane. just sits there. Um, I actually have gone through the motion of okay, I will create a new iCloud security code. Even, you know, I know how to do it. I'll go into the thing and click on the thing, blah, 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 and enter a new code and blah, blah, blah. That appears to have no effect. You can do it, but it doesn't matter. A couple days later, you're going to see that dialogue. And when you see that dialogue, what it's trying to tell you, like what you will find out later if you just continue to use your computer, is that basically nothing involving passwords works. It usually shows up for me <laughs> that, that, like, it can't mount the Synology anymore because the, the password for the Synology is in the keychain, right? And so if it can't mount the Synology to do time machine backups to it, it will stop doing time machines backups to it and complain that, that it can't do that. Or if you try to log into a website or whatever, you know, like, that is not getting passwords out of, out of the keychain. If you try to log in somewhere and enter a password and then try to save the password, it will say, sorry, couldn't save, couldn't find the system keychain or couldn't find the login keychain or something like that to save your password in. And if you launch keychain access and look at it, you see a bunch of black blank icons in the sidebar and a little text that says read only mode. Like it's like your keychains are all gone. They're all still there. If you look in your library, you know, keychains thing, they're all sitting there. The files are there. They're perfectly fine as far as I can tell, but Keychain Access won't even show their icons, let alone any of their contents, and it says everything is in read-only mode. And the only way to fix this is to reboot, and when you reboot, everything's fine again for a couple days. All your passwords are still there. Nothing is corrupted. They removed the Keychain First Aid menu item. I have no idea what the hell it did, but it made me feel good. I would have tried that <laughs> if, if that option was still there, but it's not. But it's totally inexplicable to me. I keep looking in Activity Monitor to see, like, is there some SecD, you know, demon that has hung or something, and I'll see it showing up as red because it's not pulling events off, or, you know, what I don't... Like, is there something I can restart? But I, I have not figured this out. And because it's one of those every few days type of problems, sometimes maybe only once a week, and the cure is a very fast reboot, like, I, my, my motivation to troubleshoot it has been low, but it's increasing, but I don't really know what to do. People are saying to, you know... Uh, disk util reset user permissions on everything or uh, you know the equivalent of uh, repair permissions and stuff like that like the permissions all seem to be fine uh, and I don't quite know 
what is going wrong after days of using the computer that suddenly the keychains just go away like it's not corrupt files it's not corrupt data because then just nothing would work ever um and i don't even know whether to attribute this to sierra i keep hoping there'll be a point update to sierra and like well whatever this will be some you know glitch and then it will go away in a point update but the point updates to sierra don't seem to be coming out very quickly i know there's one in flight right now but i'm I'm not on the beta train maybe i should get on that and see if it changes things but uh, either way, all this is to say is that it has prevented me, one of the many things that has prevented me from upgrading my technically incompatible Mac Pro to Sierra. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't want to deal with that. My Mac Pro works the way it's supposed to, and I don't have any of these problems, so why would I want to bring them on? Um, it could be related to my iMac, could be related to the specific data on there. You know, who knows? It could be something corrupt in iCloud. Really, I, It's one of those things that's very difficult to know what the deal is, but uh, half the reason I'm mentioning it on the show is because you know i've been stewing on it for a long time uh and it's you know worth getting out there in case other people have any problem but really selfishly i'm hoping someone's going to tell me how to fix it because i just haven't had time to dive into this and figure out what the deal is and uh, googling for it is not turning up anything maybe i'll actually you know you know you're really desperate when i'm thinking of filing a radar like just that's because <laughs> what can you even say like <laughs> After some weird amount of time, usually a couple of days, this happens. And I'll just send them like screenshots of Keychain Access showing everything is blank and reboot and it fixes it. So I don't know. Sort of uh, tangentially related. I don't remember when it was, but it was easily a couple of years ago. I used to very frequently get this weird bug with my Magic Mouse. And I don't remember it happening with the trackpad on my laptops, but maybe it did. But certainly with Magic Mouse, if I would use the one finger, say, left to right scroll in order to go back a page in Safari, uh, the the active page would move right maybe 50 points, 100 points, and then it would just freeze. And Safari would be like freaking useless until you quit it and restart it. And just in the last day or two, this has started to come back. And it happened, I believe, on both my work and personal machines, which was super creepy and really weird. And it's only happened a couple times, and I haven't had it happen since. But this was infuriating when it was common a couple of years ago because I would have to like quit Safari constantly. And it actually also happened in Chrome once, uh, which was also super weird. Uh, and I don't need to hear anyone emailing me about how I should use Chrome and not Safari or about how I should use Safari and not Chrome. My my web browser choices are my business. Thank you very much. But it was certainly very weird and, and very not reliably reproducible. So similarly, I'm not sure what kind of radar I should fi- file other than Hey, look! The window is frozen with the with me a hundred points into a back animation. That's weird. Totally sounds like a laptop bug. Everyone has laptop always has like core graphics bugs related to like their GPU drivers or weird GPU issues, especially with the dual GPU switching stuff like that. Could be. My favorite thing is that the bug is syncing itself helpfully between your work and home computers. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Unlike my your damn, keyboard shortcuts. I was just about to say that. Get out of my head. I was just <laughs> about to say that. My damn keyboard shortcuts are still lost in the ether. But hey, this bug is syncing just great. Thanks, iCloud. Oh, one more thing about my keychain thing that I remembered. It is many times, I don't know if this is related or it's separate, but many times since upgrading to Sierra, the computer will get into a state where it cannot go to any uh, website using HTTPS, you know. You know, TLS, uh, SSL, all that. Like, it, it, if you try to load one of them, it will say, "Sorry, 
couldn't make a secure connection or whatever whatever weird error screen that the browser doesn't matter the browser sierra uh, you know uh, safari chrome i think i even tried firefox once like it just can't do it and this a lot of these symptoms are, are all explained by like oh your time the, the, your clock is off because many things will get screwed up if your clock is off a lot of like certificates and expiration things or just uh agreement between the, the two ends of a connection about what the hell time and date it is uh so o- almost all of the googling that you do about this is like oh you just need to you know your computer's clock is wrong that's why you can't do anything involving keychain or that's why you can't do anything involving secure sites so i can't tell you the number of times that, like it's happened and i immediately look at the clock and say is that clock right is that today's date you know what year is it <laughs> it's like a time traveler <laughs> but and i've turned off ntp and turned it back on and just as far as i can tell every time this has happened the time and date have been exactly correct and toggling that stuff does not restore anything to a working state. And again, the solution is always to restart, and it comes back like nothing is wrong and everything is perfectly fine. Uh, you remember when uh, we used to make fun of the Windows users for restarting their computers constantly? That was awesome. I mean, the the thing is, like, as as somebody who was a Windows user a lot uh, until 2005 or six or so, I generally only had to restart my Windows computer about as often as I restart my Mac. You know, and and that was partly because I was I got on the Windows NT kernel early. Like I I started using Windows 2000 since its beta in February '99, and like dropped the '98 kernel like by the wayside as quickly as I, I possibly could. Even though I couldn't print for like a year, but it was worth it. <laughs> so, like, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but so you know, it, generally, if you if you treat your computers well, if if you if you know what you're doing, you don't usually have to restart Windows or Macs more frequently than the other. It is, though, a little concerning that, like, oh, man, there's so many bugs in macOS now. It's really kind of sad. It, it makes me sad. I, you know, we get feedback telling us to stop complaining about Apple because, for some reason, we aren't allowed to. But it really does make me sad to see my, my computing platform of choice that I love so much. Um, there, Oh, there's a, there's a lot of bugs now. And it's it's not like massive showstoppers like John's password thing most of the time. Like, most of the time, it's, just, it's more little stuff. Like... The other day, uh, like I've been using Apple Apple's new Notes app since it was launched in what iOS nine, whenever that was. Um, I think that's right. And I've, I've been using that for like all my my late little notes. And I'm I'm a pretty light Notes user in general. Like I don't I never like heavily use the the Dropbox editors before that. I have something like you know fifty notes maybe. It, it's it's not like a large number of them, and I'm not they're not like always open. Like I'll open it, check one thing, and then and then close it. And it's worked perfectly for me until last week now like notes just basically don't sync reliably between devices anymore like and and i've tried logging out of icloud logging back in it doesn't work like it's just nothing can make my notes sync reliably to certain devices anymore like my laptop logging in logging out worked my ipad logging in logging out didn't work like it's just like everything I, i never had to do this stuff before and it's just like come on like and this this is this is what makes iCloud bugs and iMessage also like you know people have these problems with iMessage since the beginning. So often the the answer that you get if you if you ask people or even if the answer that if you can get Apple to tell you anything, the answer that you get is usually like well just like sign out of iCloud, clear everything off, sign everything back in. And it's like that's not a solution. Like that that should never be the answer. That is never good enough. That's like telling somebody restore your phone and you know and don't restore from backup. Like start cleaning from your phone, erase everything, you just lose everything. Like that's that's not an answer. That that is not a good solution. And there's just so many bugs now that come up seemingly for no reason uh when you know in not even edge case usage. Like 
I feel like now you're an edge case if you don't have one of these bugs hitting at least one of your various Apple Sync services. I actually, outside of my damn keyboard shortcuts, which in the grand scheme of things are not that important, uh, I actually don't really have any of these problems. Like I, For the longest time when people would complain and moan about iMessage, ev- almost everyone had a horror story. I might be an iMessage unicorn because I cannot recall a time that I've had more than just a very brief hiccup, um, not this like continual non-delivered messages or out-of-band messages. You don't have split conversations where you send a message to me and then like I reply to you a day later, but it shows up in a separate conversation. So now you have two conversations that are just me and you. Yeah, but that makes perfect sense. Like, I, I, it's an no, unfortunate scenario. No, it does not make scenario. perfect sense at well, all. Well, sure it does. No, no, no. So the problem, I, this is particularly bad with group messages, but I believe the problem to be that somebody say, like, let's say it's the three of us, and I send an iMessage to John's phone number and Marco's email address. Yeah, you know, I, know, I know. I know the source of the problem, but we're the same people. Like, this is not, you know, oh, you sent it to my Apple ID and not to my phone number. Like, we're the same people. It's the same icon in the application. Combine them. Don't make them separate. But no, no, I agree with you. I totally agree with you but at least that problem kind of sort of makes sense and and really and like there is no solution to that because it's like uh you know you have to make sure even if you make sure all your devices are set to when i send a message i want to send it from either my phone number or my apple id if you like if you make it all consistent on your end it doesn't matter because you can't control how people contact you and it's just it's chaos it's you will never be merged you can just you just got to hope that people will reply to the same thing that they got it on on a device that is configured like it's intractable it's not it's not good they need to come up with a solution to this See, this is why the unified timeline is bad, because it gets you spoiled. Um, it's no, spoiled it's, by consistency and, and right, a, exactly, a series of exactly. events, one following the other. <laughs> no, the incredibly confusing. Right? Yeah. I know. It's ridiculous. Uh, no, but I, all, I'm, all I'm trying to say is that outside of my damn keyboard shortcuts, which drive me absolutely bananas, I actually don't really have any common bugs that i feel like i hit on a regular basis now that my ram is actually working um but i i do feel that the one-off bugs like for example i had a kernel panic earlier today which is something i haven't had happen in a long time that's got to be the ram yep no it was my work computer it's my work computer (laughs) nice try i haven't had a kernel panic like i average about one kernel panic per year over all my devices yeah that's about right yeah, and, and I go multiple years without any, and just like yeah, you know, then they cluster in a year or you know, and it's whenever I see one, I think something is wrong, hardware wise at this point. Talking about how often you re- you reboot, like in the bad old days of the Macs in the nineties, you know, you would hear the bongs, the little bongs that Marco will insert into the podcast at this point, all over the office all the time from poor developers on classic macOS trying to use adobe products to get their work done and it was just inevitable <laughs> that you would get a whole system freeze at some point probably averaging like one point something per day for them if you if you knew what you were doing and had a limited set of non-adobe software essentially like i could go days and days with just my bb edit and you know ie5 running or whatever but eventually uh you know if you were doing anything complicated or stressing it and weren't weren't just staying in this little groove you know no no memory protection is like the same reason marco got off uh, windows 95 and 98 and onto 2000 because you just yep. want to get out of that world so things are still way better than you know in living memory in my very vivid living memory of how bad it used to be and, and you know the kernel panics like in terms of what is the stability of the core system and this is one of the things i emphasized early on in my os 10 reviews uh then called mac os 10 they they did a really good job with the like does the operating system crash but as a user, you don't care basically if the kernel crashes because if the if the entire UI freezes and the only way to get out of it is like you know kill login window and send you back to the login screen, it might the kernel might as well have crashed because 
everything you were doing is hosed. It's like, oh, the operating system is fine. Like the kernel is still running. It just killed a bunch of processes and it came back. Like basically like UI freeze versus operating system crash. It doesn't matter from the user's perspective, but technically speaking, I would say that Mac OS 10 specifically and iOS to some degree, although I can tell you about some of my iOS weirdness after this, but <laughs> the core OS is very solid. Like to, to have used Mac OS 10 for how many years, you know, 10 years, 15 years, 17, whatever the hell it is, kernel panics are just not a thing in my life. And like you said, Marco, if you see one, you immediately think hardware problem. That's how reliable the yeah. core OS is. Things above that might start to get flaky. And by the way, the uh, the suggestion from the chat room, which I'm definitely going to try because it smells right to me from ATP Tipster for it to solve my problem, is turn off iCloud Keychain, which I have turned on. Because anything that involves iCloud could, you know, could be like locking my files in some weird ass way. And it's like, fine, I will just turn that feature off and not have the, the stuff sync and see if that solves it. Um, because I, everything that we've listed so far is like, if it involves iCloud, that means it, it involves something other than the bits on your computer and is very often buggy. Um, but anyway, I, I, I think the stability and reliability of everything not having to do with cloud services on the Mac has pretty much gotten better over time. It's a lumpy path. There are regressions and everything. It's not a straight up, you know, upward line. It goes up and down, up and down. But in general, the trend is good. Um, so I'm thankful for that uh, every day. And, and it makes me appreciate all the more my beautiful 2008 uh, Power Mac, which is just, at Mac this point, Pro. it's just running like the very latest version of El Cap. And I mean, it's just, it's just incredibly solid. I can't remember the last time I had any kind of problem with it, which is yet another reason I'm not motivated to upgrade it. It's a good machine. All I was trying to say earlier is that you know, outside of these one-offs here and there, I do think that things are pretty good. And this is what you were, you know, saying, John. That things are so much better than they used to be. And I don't, I don't want to perpetuate the oh, all, all the three of us do is complain uh, idea. But because things are pretty darn great as long as you're not trying to keep uh, sync uh, keyboard text replacement. Other than that, we're we're okay. I have literally never used that feature. I have never created or deleted any of these things uh, until uh, until earlier last week when I was I was setting up my new laptop and I noticed I, I was going through all the preference windows. It was the first clean install I had done in, in a long time. <laughs> and it, in this in this uh, tech shortcuts was about sixteen copies of the default on my way entry that's there like that's oh, delightful <laughs> it's like oh great that's i've literally never touched this feature and somehow i have 16 copies of this it's like uh, obviously there is no effort being put into this feature <laughs> well the reason that feature always comes up in our circles is because it is like it's like the easiest toy example of sync like the amount of data is so small and it's all just text and it's a, a lightly or unused feature it's almost as if like if you wanted to do a demo application of like CloudKit and the syncing services, the modern syncing services, you would say, let's just pretend we're syncing, you know, keyboard shortcuts where it's just, you know, name value pairs, all plain text. Like it can't get any easier than that. And if that doesn't work 100% rock solid reliably, what hope in the world does anybody have to build a reliable syncing engine for an application with actual complicated data on top of Apple's cloud services? So that's why it always comes up like it's not it's not just because we're all obsessed with tech shortcuts it's because eh. it, it's it's like a canary <laughs> you know it's like if they if that doesn't work then you know as a developer a don't even bother trying to build like your your sophisticated application on top of the syncing engine and uh, and if that doesn't work uh then it, as a user it makes you less confident in any of apple's own more complicated syncing things yeah, I mean that that's why the, that's why notes having a problem for me this past week is is really concerning for me because this it was reliable for the last 
you know, year and a half or whatever it's been since they launched it. Uh, and then all of a sudden now it's just not. And I've tried the basic debugging technique of like, oh, log out, log back in, clear everything, restart. It's like, that doesn't work. It's like, well, okay, now what? You know, it's, that's not a debugging <laughs> technique. That's just like the, the only thing you can do. Exactly. Um, but Notes is, actually, Notes is actually surprisingly sophisticated. Like, it's not just text shortcuts. Like, because it does do like, try to do like, merging of changes and simultaneous accents for shared notes do you use shared notes like do you have like a shared like grocery list with you and tiff where you both have access to the same note to read write you know google doc style thing we i've only ever done that with one note and it's no longer there yeah so i mean we we take it for granted like with the fact that we sit here and op- edit this google doc that has our show notes in it have we ever had data destroying bugs or things that have caused it to be corrupt or casey writes something and i say casey did you write something i don't see anything that has literally never happened google docs whatever whatever they're doing it just always works is it the greatest app in the world no is it possible to get weird things like when i was trying to select some text and casey was writing earlier my selection moved because the text was going under it but you just stop selecting and you try again but like that's it's one of the reasons i have such faith in google and their and their cloud service stuff plus or minus privacy stuff which you know use your own judgment um is that the the basics you know google docs can multiple people edit a text document at the same time doesn't get screwed up proof is in the pudding yes they totally can whereas if we had gone with marco's one time perhaps a sarcastic suggestion to use like a shared pages document i have little faith that it would have been as successful i never said shared pages i would never have suggested that so someone one of you suggested we try like iwork.com or something i don't know it could have been a joke yeah, we did try. There, there was like a, there were a couple of other web services uh, that we tried uh, that people had recommended, and none of those really worked out for us either. And so we just came back to the Google Docs because it's Google Docs is basically like the the Windows of online collaboration. It's like no, that, that's that's uh, that's too harsh, I think. Uh, I, yeah. I, for, when it comes to shared text documents, reliability. I mean, it's not a bad application. Like it's not it's not great. The UI could be a little bit weird, but like it works all the time. And it more or less has the features we need. And, like, none of us ever think about it. Like, I don't think we spend time worrying about how Google Docs is working. That's like, true. You know, or, or it just, it just, and, that, and that's ideal for a tool you're going to use for this purpose. Just, like, it, it's not in the front of any of our minds ever. We are sponsored tonight by Automatic, the small adapter that turns your clunker into a smarter connected car. Go to automatic.com slash ATP and use code ATP for $20 off the purchase price. Automatic has recently launched the Automatic Pro. This is their new unlimited 3G car adapter with no monthly fees or subscription. So even though it has its own 3G radio and its own 3G service that it uses to communicate with the outside world, you don't pay per month for that. You just pay up front for the device and they cover the cost of the service. Now, this always on 3G lets you know where your vehicle is parked at any time unless you track your vehicle in case of theft. It also works with If This Then That, IFTTT, for endless customization, connecting your car for the rest of your life. You can link your car to connected devices like Nest thermostats or the Amazon Echo. Imagine you can actually say, hey, name of Echo, where did I park my car? And it can actually tell you. And of course, there's lots of other things you can do with this. You can integrate with all sorts of apps. They have a whole API and a whole store, expense reporting, things like Concur and Expensify, all sorts of crazy stuff you can do. And it can improve your safety because Automatic can detect severe accidents and will automatically call for help with trained responders if you aren't able to. 
So check it out today. Go to automatic.com slash ATP. Now, normally, the Automatic Pro is 130 bucks, but when you use our exclusive offer code, ATP, you will save 20 bucks off that price. So go to automatic.com slash ATP for more information and use offer code ATP to save $20 off the regular purchase price. Thank you very much to Automatic for sponsoring our show. I get to my uh, my iOS issues. Uh, it's the same as last time. I just want to give an update. This is probably this <laughs> is like a whole like bug complaint show. No, I don't <laughs> want it to be. I'm trying to I'm trying to bring it back, but I but we all have too many new uh, I mean, pieces. It's, of- it's not. It's bug complaint slash uh, desperately try to crowdsource solutions to your own personal problems by using your <laughs> position on a podcast. Um, we could, in theory, you could be helping other people too. So uh, this sh- this should have been a follow up, but too late. Uh, I was talking about plugging my light, my big fat ugly lightning connected ear pods into my iphone 7 um and how occasionally it doesn't work and i described some scenarios where it doesn't work i I come up with a new scenario where it doesn't work where i pick up my phone uh i don't know what order i do things and maybe i I probably already unlocked it and overcast is the frontmost app or whatever i plug in my headphones put the ear pods in my ear i hit the big honking triangle play button overcast and sound starts coming out of the speakers on the phone yeah and there's a long time between the time when i plugged in the headphones and the time and like when that happens it's like it's like getting on an escalator that's not moving you're like wait wait what <laughs> like what is, i you know because I, pl- I plugged in the headphones like seven seconds ago as i'm you know and uh, you know, sometimes you plug in the headphones then you know go to springboard or go to go to overcast or like eventually you get there you know go to the podcast you hit the play button the ear pods have been in your ears for for what seemed like forever and you hit play and it starts playing audio out of the phone speaker and you're just like you just shake your head at the phone like what what is what are you doing what like this is your basics like none of your previous iphones had this problem when i plugged in the damn headphones and hit play on an audio app the sound always came out of the headphones it like always did like a hundred percent of the time i've run this experiment many times on every single ipod touch and every single iphone and every single ipod shuffle when i hit play it comes out because the headphones are plugged in where else is it going to come out like this is a and so that that infuriated me yeah something's wrong with that it, it happens. It happens to me in my car also. Like like when the car Bluetooth captures the 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 output about once a week, it'll just play through the phone speaker still, even though the car thinks it's connected. the The phone thinks it's connected to the car, but it still plays out through the phone's internal speaker instead. Yeah, but Bluetooth never works. Like I'm not in a car. No, not, Bluetooth not, Bluetooth usually works. Like that, that's the yeah. I agree. My my Bluetooth does not. My Bluetooth and my Honda is incredibly unreliable, and I have all sorts of situations like that that I'm used to dealing with. But headphones, like the reason it's so. The reason it's so disturbing to me is like headphones are just you know I'm I'm just in my kitchen right this is this is previously 100% reliable technology so I'm really my opinion is going downhill fast. Well, it, it was never the way iOS handles audio routing to different devices has never been 100% reliable. I think and in different releases as as they like update and change certain subsystems to enable new things or whatever uh certain OSs are better than others and I think iOS 10 is particularly bad in this area of like selecting the right output device reliably uh but this like almost every iOS version that comes out like almost every you know beta betas 1 through 5 of almost every iOS version every year have some massive problem with audio routing I don't know why like audio routing is just always messed with I assume all the all the changes in iOS 10 were to accommodate the AirPods uh, and and all the different because that's like Bluetooth audio got really messed up for a while in the betas and I'm pretty sure that's why uh, but like whatever they do it seems like they're always having to mess with the audio stack in weird ways that leave it very unreliable and one of the very frequent problems I've always had with phones every once in a while you will tell your podcast to play 
and it'll think there's no speakers connected to the phone of any form. Like it'll it'll show like nothing in the in the in the in the source list from the uh, from the AirPlay icon, or it'll show like iPhone as the only entry. And usually you have to just reboot when that like there's nothing you can do you just reboot at that point. But th- that's been a long-standing iOS bug, and again, like almost every iOS version has something like that that's going wrong with it every so often. Have you, but have you ever plugged in plain old headphones into a plain old headphone jack on an iOS device and then played audio and not had to come out the headphones? I've literally never had that experience until like this week with the lighting. Um, that's a good point. I, I know you're. I, I have not had that happen to me, but now every device is is a is whatever is class weird, of device yeah. that that like Bluetooth and car things get. Like now headphones are like that too because of progress and courage. Yeah, now they got their own little computers in there. Yeah. So uh so the the other thing that I saw which is I'm sh- sure related to this but it was really weird because I've never seen this one, you know. I, iOS occasionally freaks out. iOS for the most part is incredibly reliable. Like I I don't reboot my iOS devices. They just run and run and run and run and that's the way it's supposed to be. But recently on my iPhone 7, again, plugging in the headphones. I plug in the headphones and then I hit the play button. I think it might have still been on the lock screen because, you know, the little the media controls are still on the lock screen. I hit the play button to play, and it, it, it doesn't play anything. I'm like, well, fine, whatever. It doesn't play anything. Let me just unlock the phone. Well, first, let me unplug and plug, replug the headphones, which is usually the first thing. Hit the play button. Nothing happens. And I'm like, wait, is the play button even activating? Let me unlock the phone and actually go to Overcast and hit the play button there. <laughs> uh, and I noticed that I can't unlock the phone. I'm like, oh, is it the stupid fingerprint? Is that the problem? Oh, forget about the fingerprint. Let me just press the home button so I can do the, the you know, my enter my password so I can unlock my phone, which I never do because I use Touch ID all the time. And I can't get the password screen to come up. And then I, I, I hit the home button and nothing's happening. And I hit the power button and the phone doesn't go back to sleep. And so I'm, I'm hitting every physical control and semi-physical control. I'm pulling out the headphones and putting them back in. I'm hitting the non-moving home button. I'm hitting the power button and literally nothing is happening. The screen is just sitting there staring at me. It is not turning on. It is not turning off. It is not unlocking. It is not presenting me with an unlock screen. I, I tried to do what I think. I don't know if this is, if this is the case, but I'm trying to go from memory. I'm like, oh, what's the what's the new like you know hard reboot thing? So I'm doing like volume up and the power button. I think that's wrong. I didn't you know it's volume down. Yeah. Well, anyway, I tried various combinations of buttons, probably all of which were wrong. None of which did anything. I think if I had f- correctly found the one that re- that kills it, I'm assuming it would have just you know turned off, like the equivalent of yanking the plug, right? But I didn't find it, right? And I, I'm doing this for you know I don't know a minute, two minutes, and then eventually things start happening and I realize it is catching up with everything that I've done over the past several minutes. I've seen this happen. <laughs> it happened yep, to yep, me yep. once too. And, and all of a sudden I see the volume changing and going up and down and yeah. the lock screen coming and just, and then, uh, and then uh, it was fine. And then everything freaks out. The Apple Pay screen pops up because you kept hitting the home button. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. It eventually got out of that, all that out of its system. I'm like, okay, well, it's back to normal. And the bottom line is I didn't reboot the thing, but that whole time when it was freaking out, uh, would seem to be kicked off by me plugging in my headphones, but who the heck knows? And anyway, that was that's very antisocial behavior that also makes me concerned about my iPhone. Yeah, that, that happened to me if, like uh, a few, maybe a couple of months ago, and I tweeted about it, and I got a lot of responses from people saying that happened to them too. And and it, so it seems like that's a that's not that uncommon, um, but. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Well, like Sierra, <laughs> iOS 10 is new, so like I just want more point releases to come it's not out. Not that like, new. I hope, uh, well, I guess, but like Sierra still, Sierra has not had a lot of point releases. What is it up to? Is it just the point one still? Yes, ten, twelve, one. Yeah, although dot two is is I believe in pretty late beta at this point. But yeah, I saw all the rumors about the, uh, the new Polaris GPU drivers with making people think about Mac Pros in there. But anyway, I, I I'm ready for point releases because every point release, I'm like, well, maybe they fix this annoying thing. So 
uh, and 10 to they're saying they're on beta 7 of 10 to i mean obviously they're more cautious with the ios releases so it's taken a while for 10 to to appear but it was like 10 1 they don't do the the three digit numbers on ios versions do yeah they, they do but it's, it's only ever for bug fixes on the for the last digit yeah anyway uh hopefully when both of these os's both mac os and ios get their next point releases some or all of these things will improve all right on that happy note uh tell us about amazon go so amazon uh as chief summarizer in chief amazon has come up with a hey look what we're building video uh that is only a couple minutes long it's worth watching and basically it's taking apple's easy steal to the next level and the general premise is you scan a, I think it was like a QR code that's on your phone as you walk through a turnstile on your way in, then you grab whatever it is you want to purchase, and then you walk out. And between like computer vision and presumably like, you know, weight detection or something like that. RFID, I would imagine. And RFID, yeah. No, you know, no, it, no it, RFID. What? Oh, did they say it wasn't RFID? I'm surmising that. Oh, okay. So what are the catchphrases they use? Computer vision, deep learning algorithms, sensor fusion are the uh, three things they say. Uh, <laughs> we just know you bought that, a tin of Altoids. You always buy a tin of Altoids. We just assume you're going to buy one every time at this point. They'll <laughs> right? speculatively charge you for things that you're going to buy in the future, minority report style. <laughs> exactly. like a, a bunch of bald people in bathtubs know what you're going to buy, <laughs> which is probably not far from the truth, minus the bathtubs and the people. Yeah, they know what you're going to buy. That's why <laughs> Target sends you the, the thing with the baby supplies before you know you're pregnant. Yep. Yeah. They, uh, they call yeah. that big data. Now, that really happened, kids. There, I'm not going to put an article in the show notes because it'll take me three days to find it, but that really did happen. Anyway. It'll take you three seconds to find that one. Uh, maybe. But but the point is, you walk in, you scan a QR code on your phone to identify who you are, you buy some things, then you leave. And there's no checkout. You just walk right out. And in principle, this sounds pretty neat to me. Um, we should probably, you know, have a moment to to mention uh, "Humans Need Not Apply," which is a great video by a friend of the show, CGP Gray, about how when things like this autom- like these automations happen, that means that eventually humans will not have jobs, which is a problem. But that horrible dystopian future aside, this sounds pretty cool. So here's what I think about how this works based on this video. And the store, by the way, isn't open yet. There's going to be one location in Seattle. It's not open yet. So all we've got is a video and a page that has a bunch of information on it. Um, so it shows there's no turnstile, by the way. That would be barbaric. You walk in through these, <laughs> you know, these little, you know, they have little dividers that you scan your QR code. But it's not as if you're going through like a, a subway, you know, turnstile or an amusement park turnstile. So you just walk through. The QR code is scanned. Now the thing knows you're in the store. And I think one of the key technologies is, because the video says, and then just put your phone away. Like, it's not like you're scanning things with your phone, like on Apple's uh, Apple Store app or whatever. Once you scan your QR code and enter, you still have to have your phone on you, but you can just put it in your pocket. It's not involved in this. You're not you're not tapping products with your phone. You're not scanning them with your phone. Any, your phone's camera is not seeing them. Like, it's in your pocket, right? But they do have... I think one part of this is proximity. Like it knows roughly where you are in the store, probably using those eye beacons or similar type of technology. It knows what, like your phone has to be on. So it knows where it knows that you're in the store and knows roughly where you are. And the computer vision thing, like if you look at the video, every product that people are getting is kind of like they're inside a giant vending machine where things like slide down, like the candy bar slides down and the little twisty corkscrew, right? And the next one comes, like everything is in a single file lane where you grab the product at the front, which by the way, I would never do because you always got to pull from the back or middle, right? Uh, But anyway, (laughs) um, and I assume they have cameras all over, plus like you're saying, weight sensors and any other things like sensor fusion of knowing 
someone has picked a product off of this shelf. You know which product it is because you know which row it came in. It's not like they're haphazardly shelved or just some, some employees like shelving them. They're, they're in precise rows. And when you pull one off, they know you pulled one off. And they know it was you based on proximity of where your phone is. Now, what if you are shoulder to shoulder with three other people who are also pulling things off? I suppose if you're all reach over each other and all three grab things out of the same aisle that you're standing in front of, it's possible to confuse the thing. But what, what I'm getting is I think it's not RFID. I think there is no, there are not RFID tags on every single one of these things. I think they're just plain old containers. There's nothing special about the containers. Everything is about sensing where you are with the phone and figuring out when people pull things out of these very specific restricted little columns of food. And the food that you were getting, it's not like your your supermarket where you can go buy, you know, a loaf of bread, mayonnaise, you know, some ground beef, like just, it is more like prepared foods in little tins, like in the prepared food section of Whole Foods or whatever, plus maybe a couple of staples like milk and, and, and butter and stuff like that. But it is not a full-fledged grocery store with everything you expect to see there. I think partially because it would be hard to get all that into this format, into this little slidey down, you know, whatever, like the, these little rows of food in neat little containers that are all uniformly sized, because that's not how real grocery stores work. Um, and then finally, the idea is that you, you know, you grab the food and you just take it with you and you just leave. Like there is no, there's no scanning of your items as you leave. There's no, like, you don't even have to scan your QR code on the way back out. You just, just walk out of the store. It doesn't care what you put the items in. You don't have to put them into a special bag. You don't have to like, it's just, you just take the crap and you leave. And they say, and you know, we'll, we'll charge your account for the amount that you bought, you know, cause it's Amazon. They have all your information and your credit cards or whatever. And you, can, if you're interested in looking at the receipt, you can look at it right in the same app that you scanned on the way in. You, you launch this free app, this Amazon Go app, and it says, oh, you just bought these five things, right? Uh, and when I saw that, and I had my wife look at this too, and I knew what her reaction would be to some degree. And when I saw it, what I thought of was like, oh, no, you know, no, no checkout lines, no waiting in line. Uh, but if everybody who used this was like my wife, which I don't think everybody in the world is, but there are enough of them, what would happen instead of people waiting in checkout lines is everybody would exit the store with their with their stuff and as soon as they got the door they would be staring at their phone stopped in place staring at their phone to make sure that the receipt in the app exactly matches <laughs> everything that's in their bag to make sure they weren't overcharged for anything right you know and so what would actually happen is the entrance to the store would be clogged with a bunch of people who were all frantically checking their receipt to make sure they didn't get charged for 500 cans of hellman's mayonnaise when really they just took one or whatever and then going back into the store and trying to correct it like you have to have for this to work it has to be like the people in the video where it's like i just walk out of the store and i'm fine like i don't even need to look at this receipt maybe later when i'm doing like my bills i'll look at the receipt but i trust that it's fine but people who are i don't know are very careful about money spending want to know immediately have i the same reason you check a paper receipt like are you are you guys paper receipt checkers like after you go to the grocery store do you look down the receipt or do you watch the like the scanning to make sure that everything is being scanned for the right price and that you know oh those are supposed to be two for five dollars and you know do you check the receipt to make sure that they didn't charge you for something you didn't buy and that you got the right prices not usually never yeah well some people are receipt checkers um i'm definitely a scan watcher because what else do you have to do during that time i watch the items being scanned in case if they like you know scan uh the you know the uh, potato five potatoes i have and it comes up as like some ridiculous price because they thought it was you know uh you know seven pounds of saffron or something right like you, <laughs> you, you want to be watching for that stuff if you're not one of those people then you can go la-di-da and just leave but 
I think there's enough receipt checkers. Like if you're just to watch people leaving who just at least glance over the receipt, you know, make sure the total makes sense. Make sure if you saw something that you bought because they were two for $5 and that was a discount that you actually do get them for two for $5. Um, and it's not like real grocery stores are clogged with people checking their receipts, but that anxiety that like this magical system, like, can I trust this magical system? Initially, that's going to be there. Now, if, if it works really well, eventually people will just let go and say, oh, I don't need to keep checking that. Uh, it's more reliable than humans. It's more reliable than, you know, than a self-checkout. It's more reliable than having a real cashier, which I think will be a real challenge because a really good supermarket cashier is way better than... That's why self-checkout sucks. When you check yourself out, you realize an experienced cashier who knows exactly what code to enter for these particular kinds of green beans, just boop, 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 you know, like the things that don't have codes on them, a good human cashier is worth way more than we pay them. And you don't realize until you either have to check yourself out or you get a bad human cashier. But anyway, um, if the machines can ever match that, we'll, we will be happy and we will stop obsessing with it. But I think we have a long way to go to get there. And in the meantime, the possibility of being overcharged is one thing. And the second possibility is that the stupid thing will miss a bunch of stuff and you get a lot of free food. So that's, that's a possible <laughs> reason to check out the flagship store because I would imagine there's going to be at least an equal number of situations where it doesn't keep track of something and you just got some free food. And if you're not a receipt checker, you're not going to know or care, and you're going to eat the thing, and then later at the end of the month when you reconcile stuff, you'll be like, hmm, everything was pretty cheap. Oh, I guess it keeps missing that uh, those bunch of bananas that I take from the store every week, and it hasn't been charging me for them, because there's no one there watching. So, I don't know. Someone who lives in Seattle should try the store out and then uh, right into the show. How many bananas are you buying where you would even notice the, that whether you got them for free or not? Because they don't cost a lot. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? $10? No, no, you get a lot of bananas. You make a lot of banana bread. That's a that's a staple around here. We get a lot of bananas, mm. and if like if they if they you know if they go over, they get too brown for people to want to eat. Banana bread, banana muffins. It's like you know bonus. Kind of sounds like you're buying too many bananas on a number of fronts here. Can never have too much banana bread. I don't think that's possible. Oh, amen, amen. Couldn't agree more. I don't know. I'm I'm interested in this. I think it looks pretty neat. I suspect that it won't be commonplace for years. Um, we discussed this briefly on uh, clockwise today, which I happen to be a guest host on. Um, we'll put a link in the show notes. And I, I think this is the indication of the future, but I don't think we're quite into the future yet. So we'll see, but it looks very cool if it works and if it's reliable. So, and this is the type of thing I like to see Amazon doing. Amazon does lots of things. Um, a lot of which don't seem to be part of their core competencies. Or only, you know, tangentially, like it's arguable whether everything that would eventually become Amazon Web Services, uh, you know, S3 and EC2 and all that stuff, is that part of Amazon's core competencies? Don't they sell books on the internet, you know, in the 90s version of them, right? But of course, they have to run their own servers. But then they weren't really running their own servers on their web services for a long time. But then eventually they want to be. So you can argue that, like, it may not seem like this is a core part of a company that sells you things over the internet. But it is because this is how they run their business. Um, and then they do stuff like the Fire Phone and the tablets. And you can kind of argue about that. And like, well, it kind of works in with giving you an easier way to buy things and so on and so forth. But this one seems very straightforward to me. Amazon at this point is a place that sells you anything that can be sold to people, like physical goods. And people think about Amazon physical stores, like how funny that is. Ah, they, you know, they drove all the booksellers, the brick and mortar booksellers out of business. And now, now that they're all dead, they'll buy up all the retail space that they vacated and, and start their own stores. Ha ha. Um, it's kind of morbid, but a store where you sell things, uh, this is an Amazon way to do that. Selling things is Amazon's core competency, right? If anyone's going to figure out how to sell things better, 
uh, it would be Amazon and selling things like without having to pay cashiers or anything like that. Like basically a, you know, a, a store that is just like a big place that you go into and grab stuff and Amazon figures how to efficiently extract your money. That's Amazon's core company too. The, the king of the stupid one click patent. Like Amazon wants to make it so you buy things when you sneeze. Like you accidentally buy things. <laughs> it is so easy to buy things. It is harder not to buy things. Like you can't even look. It's like don't look at the Amazon webpage. You'll accidentally buy something with your retinal buying thing. It sees your gaze lingering on something. Like that's you know anyway. It and most people like it. Like it's the reason we all use Amazon. Like they despite all the things we may not like about their labor practices and all sorts of stuff like that, the draw of their product, making it convenient to buy things is a real thing. And so if anyone's going to bring this to us, I give Amazon a fair shot because this is definitely in their wheelhouse. And I want to go to a store that's like this. I want them to work on this store over years and years and iterate and iterate and iterate. I don't want them to give up on it like the fire phone or whatever. I want this one to work so that five, 10 years from now, there's one near me that we can just go into and you don't have to wait on checkout lines anymore. Um, I hope they don't put all the other supermarkets out of business and I doubt they will. Uh, but I'm, I'm really rooting for this because I think, I think this is, and it's not like implausible future, like, you know, hoverboards or whatever, not the fake ones, the real ones. Um, (laughs) I think that we're close to this kind of technology. Unlike uh, what I've said about like true self-driving cars, which I think are farther off than everybody else thinks they are, but that, but real people really just don't have the same definition as me about self-driving cars. Anyway, I think this is close enough to work. The first one's going to be a disaster, whatever. But like, work out the kinks, give it a few years, stick to it, and I'm excited for this. I would, I would love it if it would ever come to the suburbs where I live. But I think that's unlikely. <laughs> oh, it'll definitely come to where you live because rich people, the core market for this, <laughs> they totally want to buy. You know, if someone's like prepared foods, like, can you imagine how much this stuff's going to cost? You know, go into Whole Foods and try to buy like, a, a, you know, a tiny cup of cut up fruit. It's like each one of them is made out of dollar bills. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> the most expensive food items per pound in the universe. <laughs> two, two thoughts here. First of all, I love Mar- or John making fun of Marco for being where the rich people live because John, I think you need. I'm, to- I'm in where the rich people are too. Like okay, that's exactly. that's where these stores are going to be. I'm pretty sure your neighborhood is more upscale than mine. For the record, <laughs> it's not. You live next to Batman. I live next to like the people who work on Batman's staff. (laughs) (laughs) My word. Wow. That was a uh, a pissing match I did not expect to be a part of. But uh, anyway, um, (laughs) the other thing I will say, which is now not nearly as funny, but uh, one time I I was at work like two years ago and I'd forgotten to bring a lunch or maybe I I didn't bring a lunch because I thought I was going out to eat. And so I was without a lunch. I was lunchless. And I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. I'm going to go to Whole Foods. I'm going to get me, you know, one of those boxes where I go to the hot bar and I put a whole bunch of stuff in there. So I went and I got the, I think, (laughs) like a little thing of ribs. Don't go for the hard-boiled eggs. They weigh too much. Salad bar tricks. It's funny you say that because I made the critical mistake of getting mac and cheese, which is like 18 pounds of mac and cheese for like one bite. And I went and I went to check out and I put my box of goodies on the scale and it was like literally eighteen dollars or something <laughs> like that. I was I was about to guess eighteen dollars as a joke price. <laughs> I, I was going to guess twenty seven, but I, I, I have a, a gauge on exactly how much food you're piling into there. But yeah, prepared yeah, foods. This is the thing about prepared foods: like a, they're really expensive, and you can kind of understand how they're really expensive. You start doing the math on. They have to pay for the raw ingredients. They have to pay for the people who prepare them, and they must have a huge amount of waste because all that stuff gets and it doesn't get sold every day, and they got to just dump it or give it away or whatever, right? So I understand why it's expensive, but B, it doesn't taste very good. Like, no, if, if I was paying a lot of money, if I was going to a restaurant and paying eighteen dollars for lunch, I want something that, that tastes 
you know, that tastes good enough to be worth $18. But that stuff that's sitting in there under like heat lamps or whatever, I don't like. It is, it is, it doesn't taste good to me. So I, I will never buy that. I will, I will sooner buy just the plain ingredients to something and make myself a sandwich out of the, the loaf of bread and the three ingredients that I got than buy one of their prepared things. And maybe I'm just allergic to prepared foods and I, I want, I want it to either be freshly made or something that doesn't need to be fresh, like a, you know, I don't know, like a, a thing of yogurt or something where it's not like they're making it right there, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a sealed prepared food versus they made something for you at some point in the hopefully not too distant past and then just sits there waiting for you to buy it. It seems like they don't know that salt exists at most of these prepared food bars. Well, that's, you should never be going. You should just be going to a deli. You have actual delis. You can oh, yeah, go there and they'll make you a sandwich out of the ingredient. And those ingredients like that are sitting there in the thing, like, you know, my, my beloved egg salad and your beloved chicken salad, it's the same deal. Someone has to prepare that and yeah. hopefully in the not too distant past and there's a lot of waste and they get rid of it. But it's, it's a difference between the chicken salad sitting in a tub or even like whatever and chicken salad sandwiches sitting there in a case waiting for you to show up when you show up they make you the chicken salad sandwich with the chicken salad sitting in the tub but they make it right there and hand it to you and that is so much better than if the sandwich was sitting there oh totally i mean that's you're you know you're talking now you know just like our previous discussion about like subway and it's like now you're in the category of like airport triangle box sandwiches and uh, those those are just always soggy and never good yeah i mean but whole foods is hopefully a little bit better than that but like you, there's nothing you can do about that you can't have how long has that, you know, rotisserie chicken been sitting under the heat lamps? Like, <laughs> and that's a pretty that's a pretty shelf stable thing where it's not going to get too gross, but it's it's gross enough not to be worth like the eighteen dollars that Casey's paying for the thing. It's yeah. I will say though, so so I I don't usually participate in the in the prepared food bar at grocery stores because as you as you pointed out, um, I typically have you know more options around that I can just go to one of those. Uh, however, I my my crazy indulgence is the pre chopped vegetables. Uh, that that come like <laughs> in the produce section, <laughs> the lazy person section. Yeah, it's like like if I'm if I have to cook, if I have to cook a meal, like I don't buy everything pre chopped, but things that are really tedious, I will often go that oh, route. Just grab it, just so just bad. fine. This is fine. This is good enough. I'll save ten minutes. It's worth it's worth the extra. Do you not look at the price so you can sleep at night? Because that is, it's brutal. <laughs> Some of them I look and I'm like, all right, even I can't do that. I cannot justify. <laughs> that. I can't stomach nine dollars for the chopped walnuts. Just put them back. Well, nobody would use walnuts because walnuts are terrible, and they would never cost nine dollars because walnuts are worthless because they're terrible. Yeah, I heard about your walnut hate. No, <laughs> they're they're just the worst nuts ever. They they, they cost nothing because nobody likes them. And yeah, anyway, <laughs> they also look like brains. But like you know, if somebody like pre chopped you know, a, a, an onion that I'm going to throw in anyway, or like a whole bunch of peppers, like that's going to save me time. And I also hate chopping onions because they make my eyes crazy. So it's yeah. like, all right, like I, I'll, I'll pay an extra like $2 premium for that. Wait, wait, do you get pre-chopped onions? Not every time, but like, you know, if I'm making something that, that night. I, I have to draw the line at that because once you break the cell walls and that stuff starts reacting, like it, it changes the nature of the product. You have to do it at time of preparation. You can't have those sitting there. If this is going in a frying pan, who cares? No, but you know how long they've been sitting there? Like, as soon as you chop an onion, the reactions start. You've got, you know, the the everything mixing with the air, producing that sulfuric acid that, you know, with the water in your eyes that's causing you to tear up. Like, that reaction starts as soon as you cut that onion. So, I, I don't I don't want that to start three hours before I prepare my meal so I can pick up the things. Um, my, the limit of our prepared food laziness is, and I've never done this, but it has been done and I have accepted that it has been done, buying pre-shedded Parmesan cheese. I would rather shred it myself because it's because the pre-shredded adds like 
five dollars a pound or something obscene to the price of the already very expensive parmesan cheese i buy that um you buy the yeah of course you buy I, it. it's it's but some it, kind of like fancy <laughs> like imported aged no it's it just parmigiano reggiano there's only one thing it's it is a it, it is a specific product this is what you should buy if you want well the, there's different grades though like there's different age lengths and there's like whether you get like dop official one or some crazy one no on, only the official one everything else that is not stamped on the outside as the real thing is I don't think Helpless even sells it, and nobody should sell it, and nobody should buy it. Uh, but the, just the question is whether do you bring home a big chunk of this hard cheese and, and grate it yourself, or do you buy it pre-graded? And the pre-graded adds tremendously to the cost, and I don't like how they grate it. They grate it too fine. That I like it to be a little bit thicker little uh, pieces than them. Um, that's as, that's as far as I'll go. Nope. I buy the pre-graded. I think it's I, I think it's something like twelve bucks a pound. No, it's way more than that. Way more. Ungraded is uh, fifteen to twenty a pound. Uh, ungraded you want me to go look go ahead go look all right one sec this is really happening what is the show turned into I, I don't know the price of many things but i know the price of parmesan cheese it is a staple in our house the same as uh, as milk and butter and eggs parmesan was the cheese you had me shred for the pizzas and then you utterly shamed me for my inability to shred no, you don't do you can you not identify cheese was that or no that was mozzarella that was mozzarella wasn't it yes my bad what i what, what i t- tell the kids is pizza cheese i was so scarred by the experience of you shaming me for my inability to shred appropriately all right i'm back i'm gonna i'm gonna predict 19 dollars a pound that is exactly right (laughs) it is it is the ambrosi brand parmigiano reggiano dop graded imported from italy uh 19 bucks a pound really fine graded right really fine like like they're tiny little wispy things that's too it's too fine for me I'm sorry. I want to like a little bit, a little bit thicker than that. But yeah, but sometimes if you're in a hurry and you realize you don't have it and it takes time to do it, someone will come and arrive and with a pre-shredded thing. And I always keep it separate from my real cheese, which is in you know the dedicated Tupperware container in the fridge. I don't want to mix them together. Uh, but sometimes you know you got to do what you got to do. But that, but that's it. <laughs> pre-cut vegetables, no. <laughs> pre-cut onions, definitely no. Um, my wife gets to pre-cut fruit all the time which I can't stand. And I just try desperately not to look at the price of them. I just like want to peel it off without looking at it. So I just don't see like twelve ninety nine on this like tub of like <laughs> sad looking watermelon and cantaloupe pieces. Like twelve ninety nine, Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean like certain things it works better than others. Like watermelon, I, I don't buy pre-cut because it is so expensive and, and whole watermelons cost basically nothing. Right. It's kind of shocking how little whole watermelons cost per pound. You're like, how did these even get transported here? Yeah. As soon as you cut it into cubes, it becomes like gold. It's dipped in printer ink. <laughs> right. <laughs> the only, only substance on earth more expensive than pre-cut fruit. At Whole like, Foods. like cer- certain things are actually worth getting pre-cut and certain things work better. So like like one of the things like 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 um, if you if you need shredded Brussels sprouts for like a salad or something like that, they sell those in, the, in a little box now and it's pretty good. And you can't tell like they, they taste just as good as if you would have chopped fresh Brussels sprouts and it takes way less time. And here you have shredded Brussels sprouts and it's, it isn't that expensive. So like certain things, it's worth it. But obviously not everything. Not watermelon. We are sponsored tonight by Betterment. Go to betterment.com slash ATP to learn more and get up to six months of no fees. Betterment, investing made better. Now, Betterment 
is the largest independent automated investing service out there, managing more than $5.5 billion for over 180,000 customers as of this past September. The financial services industry has embraced technology and innovation and has created these automated investing services, meaning that you keep more of your money with fees that are a fraction of what you would pay for traditional financial services. And of course, whenever your investments have dividends or any excess cash, this is automatically reinvested. So every dollar you invest is put to work and your portfolio is automatically rebalanced. Now, Betterment, they've been covered by the press, they've been covered by Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, and TechCrunch, and they use all the same strategies that financial advisors use with clients who have millions of dollars. This has really changed the industry by making investing easier and at a lower cost and available to more people. So, Check it out today. Go to Betterment.com slash ATP. You should know investing always involves risk. Right now, you can get up to six months of no fees. Learn more. Visit Betterment.com slash ATP. That's Betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment, investing made better. Not to ruin the Accidental Food podcast, but... Uh, Late-breaking news, Microsoft is bringing Windows desktop apps apps to mobile ARM processors. So this is sort of kind of Windows RT, but not. Windows 10 on ARM, this is from The Verge, is arriving thanks to a partnership with Qualcomm. Initially, Microsoft will support the Qualcomm Snapdragon 835 processors, and laptops are expected to be the first devices we'll see in the market next year. Microsoft is enabling Windows 10 to support ARM chips directly by building an emulator into the operating system. Devices will be able to run x86 Win 32 applications, uh, but they will not support x64. This is part of that story we had on a past show, and the rumor was that it was going to be ARM64 uh, would emulate uh, x86-64 stuff, and that was going to be in the future. I don't know if this is a separate story where they're doing 32 now and 64 later, uh, but the power savings that they get from having like laptops with ARM processors in them not going to be helped by emulating x86 <laughs> it's so true interesting though it's certainly interesting because i mean we've been talking on and off about the uh, you know max on arm and in fact i should plug um upgrade uh had a wonderful episode this week where jason snell made some really fascinating points on um arm max and kind of the, the what, what the position of the mac is i won't try to summarize his uh position but i i really agreed with a lot of it and and you should take a listen to that show but agreed that was excellent yeah, um, but this is somewhat interesting news because Windows RT, from everything I understood, was kind of crappy because nothing was cross-compiled for it. So yeah, it was in and of itself, it was fine, and maybe the battery life was good, and and I think maybe those were the surfaces, Surfi, that didn't have fans, <laughs> if memory serves. Um, but anyways, uh, but nobody could run any apps on it because nobody cross-compiled for ARM. So this could solve that problem, but I also agree with you, John, that it's not necessarily going to help th- things in terms of battery life if you're emulating uh, in you know, x86. I think they want people to compile their apps for windows for arm like that's what they want to happen that's what they sure. tried to get that with windows rt and it didn't and so it's like all right try number two what if we have emulation then more people will buy them because they won't feel like you know it's like they're, they're trying to solve the chicken egg situation people won't buy it if there's no apps and people won't make apps if no one buys them so like all right we'll put the emulation in and hopefully that will trick people into buying them i don't want to say trick but like hopefully that will motivate people to buy them. oh yeah no you can totally run your existing copy of office it'll be fine really and then once we get everyone to buy them then app developers will say your app can run better on their cool arm powered ultrabook thing because yours will be compiled natively for arm and that will give you a selling advantage i don't know do people still buy software on windows other than adobe software and autocad <laughs> and anyway 
Um, should make fun of that because they probably have a uh, a more robust professional application e- ecosystem than Apple does at this point. Probably. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, this this is a. Uh, I mean, it's a pretty smart attempt to try to, to solve this problem. Now, why uh, Microsoft is so seemingly desperate to get Windows off of x86, I don't know. Maybe, like, this is the slow divorce of Wintel, right? Where Microsoft wants to be everywhere on all platforms, and Intel CPUs are expensive compared to ARM ones of supposedly equivalent ballpark power. And Microsoft's not making its own ARM CPUs at this point, but maybe partnering with Qualcomm is a different power balance than partnering with Intel. And I don't know, but this is, it definitely seems like a very slow change happening over in a mostly unwatched corner of the market. Cause you know, everyone's looking at mobile, like, you know, phones and stuff. And not many people are looking at laptops and PCs these days, except to be depressed about them. But, uh, I, I wish them luck because anything that sort of changes the existing fairly boring status quo is good. Or even if it just motivates Intel to do a better job, that helps everybody. I, I think this is worth thinking about. It's like we've, we've been to, we've talked for, you know, forever about what about ARM Max? And the, the idea here is that, well, you know, Intel is not doing what Apple wants it to do fast enough or ma- achieving enough efficiency or whatever, and, and that maybe ARM chips that Apple could make itself would, would be better and everything. And it's interesting to, to see basically now Microsoft seemingly possibly making the same hedged bet here of like, you know, Intel's not really working that well for us either, which actually just means, you know, Intel's just not working that well, period. Well, they're working, but they charge a lot of money. Like the the Intel is still able to charge pretty big margins compared to what the you know the the ARM uh, vendors charge for their things. And it, like it's one of the reasons people always say that like the Mac laptops cost so much because if you people do these silly like bill of material things where they're adding up you know the retail prices, which is not how this stuff works. But anyway, they try to add the price and they realize. Price-wise, the Intel CPU is a surprisingly large portion, or the you know the the chips from Intel are a surprisingly large portion of the price of a laptop, um, and that was more it was more pro- pronounced when there was more parts inside a laptop. At this point, there's not much in there anymore, except for Intel CPUs, some supporting chips, a big battery, a screen, and half of a keyboard. Okay, that's all. That's all that's left in these things. But there used to be all sorts of other stuff in there. It was you know the, the hard drive and even the SSD thrown into the mix, but. Uh, I think it's still the case that Intel's margins are would be the envy of any ARM vendor, and especially in the case of Apple, where Apple is doing the design, essentially. They've got the ARM license. They do the design. They pay someone to fab it for them. That relationship is much more straightforward, and it's what Apple is used to, like working with a supplier to build a thing. I'll tell you what to build. You don't, you don't, you know, you don't have to design <laughs> anything. You're going to build this, and here it is, and give them you know, the, the, their chip design and they just fab it for them. And I know there's more to it than that. It's not a matter of just like taking a design and printing it. Like th- there is more to it, but that is, that is a relationship where you don't have to pay for the margin that Intel is charging you for like, we designed this whole chip and we designed all these things and we're not just a, a dumb fab. We're selling you this value added chip. Someone put in the, in the chat room that Intel has 60% gross margins, which are, which is pretty darn good for someone who sells physical things instead of selling software. So, um, I don't think Intel is not doing its job, and I think they are trying to serve Apple's needs, but they're still charging more. And there's, and you know, from Apple's perspective, 
they're, Apple can't control their schedules to the degree that they control their own schedules for their A series chips. So that that's you know there is a definite reason to go in that direction, uh, long term anyway. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. We'll see how it goes. So so here here's a question. Um, one of the concerns I have with Apple. Sorry to turn this back into Apple complaints just for a minute. I promise. Uh, one of the concerns I have with Apple is that obviously I think everybody, even people who think they're doing fine, can can generally agree that they're also stretched very thin and that a lot of their products are are having to take a back seat to something and whether it's the car or the idea that the iphone is progressing really fast even though it seems not to be uh or or whatever else it's like everything seems to be taking the back seat to something so my question is when the next big shifts happen in important markets to apple so things like computers phones tablets when when big shifts happen, like for instance, if everyone moves to ARM processors for for their PC computers, like you know, not just tablets and phones, but like for full size computers and laptops, uh, in Apple's current state, where it, it's kind of like their immune system is strained, like they're like they, I mean, it's not a great analogy, but like they can barely hold together what they have now, like keeping things on their current path because they're doing so much and obviously there's a lot of resources being devoted to like some other future projects but like stuff like the mac and it seemed like it's just like barely holding on and there was the awfully concerning rumor today uh that that the next iphone might just add a red color and still have the exact same like general case and design as as the six now weren't they saying that it was also going to be out at the same time as a the new all glass thing or was that trying to say like next year just a new color and the year after that the all glass one i believe it was the latter but anyway which would be concerning but anyway we we have one thing that said that so who knows but anyway so given the given the way it appears as though apple is having a hard time keeping up with all their product lines already as it is when the next big shift happens, do you think they will be able to 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 go with it, to ride it, to adapt it? Or are they going to fall behind because they won't be prepared, because they won't be devoting enough resources to these areas? Like Microsoft right now doesn't have a successful phone business to worry about uh, or to manage or, or to, to, to take forward. So like Microsoft is pouring everything they can into what they do have, which is pcs right they, they do well there they're pouring everything they have that's that, that's where we're getting like you know interesting new developments like the surface studio and like who knows which of these things will take off if any but like they are there they are ready to, to adopt whatever comes out now but apple isn't like apple is seemingly like keeping the mac kind of coasting for the most part and not doing a whole lot of new stuff with it and not really keeping it up to date not really keeping it competitive kind of just like sitting back and and letting off the gas and and this isn't just the mac i would say this this definitely applies to the mac it it sort of applies to the ipad although there's not a lot of direct competitors anymore really unless you count laptops which i'm not sure i would anymore um and on the iphone it's it's kind of it seems like they might be letting off the gas a little bit honestly uh obviously we'll see see what happens next year but uh it, it certainly looks so far that like things are are progressing more slowly than before um will apple be ready for the next big shifts and will they actually do them or will they lead them anymore the way the way they have been for like, for like the last decade or so or are they too busy like building cars and stuff i don't know about any of that i think i think basing your thoughts on the premise of they're stepping off of the gas um i 
I, I understand how you come to that conclusion. I wouldn't be so fast to come to that conclusion. Um, I would, in, in fact, I would almost go so far as to say that a lot of silence from Apple may even be indicating that they're standing on the gas harder than they ever have before. Now, truth be told, it's hard for me to make that argument with a straight face, given what's been going on with, say, the Mac Pro. But uh, one one point does not align make. And obviously, none of us know one way or the other. It very well could be that you're right, Marco. But if I were to take a read of the tea leaves, I would say that that it is quite possible that big things are afoot and we're just not hearing about it because guess what? Apple never tells us about these things until it's all over. So about the specific shift that you were talking about, like what if everyone goes to ARM, uh, that for that specific change, I think Apple would be fine because if that happened, Apple would see it as an efficiency. Uh, you know, it would it would be the last little bit Apple needs to get to kick it over the line to say, okay, I guess we will transition. Because we always talk about all the things that are keeping them from transitioning. Like, is the Mac even worth this big expensive transition and this disruption to users and the dev tools? And like, like, is it even worth it to do that for the little old Mac? Probably. Like, that's probably one of the biggest things stopping our Macs at this point is that the Mac itself is not worth that kind of investment. But if everyone else switches over anyway suddenly is the mac even worth it? like well everyone else is going that way anyway and so we might as well just get on that train and we're already designing new a series cpus every year and we're already really good at it and we're going to make that cpu anyway and the cpu for the next iphone is going to be plenty powerful for all but the most powerful laptops and if we just add more cores to it you know like it's an efficiency that they're ready to grab and a control that they want anyway any little bit that kicks them over into doing that i think they would see as okay, well, that now that decision has been taken out of our hands and they would leap at it because they do get efficiencies out of it. Now we don't have to deal with two things. We just have one architecture. We control our own destinies. All the advantages of the ARM stuff come in. So for that specific change, I think they would be fine. For all the other changes, uh, you said, you know, they're, they're stretched thin. Well, as we discussed in the past few shows, they're stretched less thin than they used to be. They're not making Wi-Fi routers anymore. They're not making <laughs> screens anymore. They're not making the Mac Pro and the Mac Mini anymore, apparently. Uh, so they are condensing. And all these, you know, all the dark matter that Casey was talking about, like, we have no idea what the hell they're doing, except for the self-driving car stuff. You know, their augmented reality thing, is that related to the car thing where they're displaying stuff on the dashboard or whatever? Like, the way to be ready for, in Apple, the typical Apple way to be ready for these changes is to be the one that brings them on. So, presumably, Apple has all sorts of experiments going on with AR and VR and uh, machine learning and self-driving car stuff and, you know, like those all those efforts are exactly what they should be doing to be ready for the next change and to perhaps be the one that initiates the change but that doesn't help us out here because we don't know about that stuff except for like you know the car project it's too big to hide at this point um and that is you know the rumors about it just being about self-driving technology i think the most concerning about thing about all these projects is that i've said this a million times and i'll say it again they increasingly rely on integration with cloud computing and apple still is crappy at it and they're getting better really slowly, probably not even keeping pace with everybody else. So there are very few, precious few things that you can do that don't involve some kind of cloud thing. And Apple's just not shown to be good for that. So if the next big thing is cloud machine learning in the cloud, it's hard to envision Apple even keeping up with the Joneses, let alone being a pioneer in that field. Because, you know, maybe they'll, again, maybe they'll surprise us with a brand new version of Siri that's way better. But I think they're mostly getting their butt kicked in this area. Um, self-driving cars and that type of tech also does not strike me as something that's in in Apple's wheelhouse. I don't really think I would not be comforted by self-driving car software written by Apple being installed into my thing, especially considering, you know, I mean, all they've done is CarPlay 
and it hasn't, you know, it's fine, whatever. But the gap between that and also drive the car for me and do a cool AR display on the HUD on, on my windshield, such a huge gap. But whatever, you know, like whatever the next big thing is, Apple should be out there trying to find it. And the act of trying to find it appears invisible. <laughs> for a company like Apple, we have no idea what it is. Um, the stretch thin feeling comes from, you know, you know, do that R&D, do that experimental thing, investigate things, kill a project if it doesn't look like it's working out, do all that stuff. But you also have to have one eye on the rest of your business. And we mostly complain about the Mac because we like the Mac. I think they are definitely not stepping off the gas on the iPhone in all areas except for perhaps industrial design. And that could be just because they keep grabbing for that whatever the next all-glass phone is. But if you look at how the internals of the iPhone have improved generation after, after generation, we would kill for that kind of improvement in the Mac. Every A-series yeah. chip is so much better than the past one. The cameras get better. The battery life gets better. Plus or minus Apple's needs to, to thin stuff down. Like, they are, you know... The iPhone is so clearly their main product, and they improve it in ways that we can only dream of in the Mac world. So I think that's doing fine. I think a lot of it is superficial. Like, oh, you're going to make it the same shape again. That's boring. That's a problem. That's a marketing problem. That's a PR problem. That's a problem for being able to sell these things to people. But if you view it as, like, how much money did they invest in making the iPhone better? Just because they don't have a new case because they they keep trying to go for that cool wireless charging all glass whatever magic phone. Like, they can't get it year after year. I gave them a pass on that because what's inside the phones is just getting better so much faster. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm not concerned about the iPhone business. I'm not even concerned about the iPad business, except for the fact that they don't seem to be willing to field any competitors to the, something like the Surface Book, whether that's an iOS device or not. But it just gets back to us whining about our Macs. But we're all... <laughs> That's true. Now, did you guys, I didn't have a chance to read this, but I saw some headlines and uh, the chat rooms brought this up as well. Quartz had a piece entitled Inside the Secret Meeting where Apple revealed the state of its AI research. And I guess there was a invite-only uh, lunch at an industry AI conference where Apple showed a bunch of slides, a couple of which, or a handful of which, uh, Quartz got their hands on. And so one of them says, Machine Learning Research Summary. And there's several different uh, segments that they're apparent that Apple's apparently looking at: health and vital signs, volumetric detection of lidar, which to me means self-driving car, prediction with structured outputs, and there's a picture of cars driving, image processing and colorization, intelligent assistant and and language modeling, and activity recognition. And then later on, I didn't get a chance to read into this much, but there are a couple of graphs where, at a glance, it seems to hint that. Apple's GPUs are being used for machine learning and are considerably quicker than equivalent Amazon AWS offerings. Now, again, I've only glanced at this. I might be butchering the details, but uh, it, it certainly seems that, at least in an academic sense, maybe Apple's machine learning chops aren't so bad after all. Now, to be fair, that has to get applied and executed upon and certainly, you know, here we are are giggling, but also crying about uh, keyboard, you know, text replacement. And so you do need to to apply all this machine learning at some juncture. But the the academic, you know, R&D stuff seems like they might be keeping up, maybe even making improvements. The historic complaint about all their this type of academic research stuff at Apple is that academics want to publish because it's vital for their continued career as a, an academic, and Apple doesn't want you to publish. And so the fact that they're presenting this is it may be a change in, in uh, you know, a slight lessening of Apple's incredible drive for secrecy 
that you can't get the best academics to come work for you if you won't let them do stuff like this because it's vital for their career to be able to do this. You can't just take them and hide them away like they do with the industrial designers who Johnny Ive only lets out once a year and the rest of the time they just spend <laughs> in that room. They, they sleep under black sheets, right? And then in the morning they just come out. Anyway, uh, it's difficult to get people to work for you if you do that. Google has a much more open environment. Google is probably the leader in this because they have so many freaking PhDs and they put this stuff to use in the magic that is every Google thing that you just type something into and it figures out what the hell you mean. I mean, Google search being the best example, I, I still, it is still not worn off to me that I can type in queries and Google finds results. And like it is, I've long since gotten past the point where I, where I can even understand how Google figured out what I was talking about and gave me the thing I wanted. But it's like, it's the magic of big data. It's the magic of, you know, they're, they're doing it for real. Um, and Apple, all we have from them to demonstrate their chops is Siri, which has its ups and downs, but... <laughs> Charitable. Yeah, yeah, like, it's not... It, no one no one except someone who works for Apple is going to put it as the leader in this. They're all kind of silly. All those voice assistants are kind of silly, but Siri had such a lead, and everyone caught up really quickly, and Google just seems to be on top of this stuff. So I hope I hope it's true that Apple is doing it, because I, I think it is table stakes in the future to have competency in this area. So Apple has to just be doing this just to keep up. I don't th- know if this means that there's something going to be the leader in it or whatever, but it seems like they're learning what it takes to attract those people to come work for Apple and put them on projects. And hopefully like Casey says, something comes out of it. Like you have to make a product. Eventually doing this research is important. And if you don't do this research, you'll never be able to make a product because we're in that phase now with machine learning where it's not commoditized at this point, you have to have your stuff in house to do it. It just, I'm not entirely sure that the best application of all this technology is self-driving car tech, which seems to be the path they're going, which is is a hard problem. And someone's going to be first and maybe it will be Apple and maybe they'll be known as the company that puts self-driving software into all of our cars. Uh, But for now, we just have rumors and a lot of money spent and, uh, you know, no announced anything from Apple and all this stuff could be canned at any time. or use for something use for an entirely different purpose like you know google goggles or some other weird ar thing who knows so from this article machine learning scientists have long criticized apple for its reluctance to contribute back to the research community during the presentation which served to bring a small select group of researchers up to speed with apple's efforts uh some individual salak hindov dinov i'm sorry i didn't practice that before the show because i didn't know i was going to be talking about this a prominent ai researcher himself at carnegie mellon said that apple would begin to publish its research and make a greater effort to work with the research community according to attendees just like you said john additionally uh oliver cameron who is self-describing as a the lead of the self-driving car team at udacity had a series of five tweets which we'll put in the show notes um which begins with him saying, hey, this article, this cor- this uh, Quartz article uh, deserves more attention. Uh, he says, Apple's clearly 1,000% working on autonomous vehicles powered by machine learning. Uh, see volumet- volumetric detection of LiDAR in, the- in that slide. Uh, they may be building custom GPUs for machine learning, perhaps only internally. They also have a custom image data set twice the size of ImageNet, which I'm not entirely clear what that is, but I'm assuming so it's... It's a public set of images for training neural networks to recognize things. There you go. Thanks. Uh, they benchmarked they benchmarked MXNet, which is Amazon's framework of choice, on their GPUs and custom image data set and not uh, TensorFlow. So TLDR, this is again still Oliver, TLDR, the new Apple is catching up fast in machine learning. And this is from someone who theoretically doesn't have any vested interest in saying such things. 
It's phrased as catching up fast, not vaulting to the lead or leaving the competition yeah, behind. But you know, it's, 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 it, is, it is the minimum bar that you have to meet because it's so clear that this type of technology is coming to the point where it can do useful things. Um, and if you don't have this capability in-house, if you just wait around until it becomes like until, – until Amazon is essentially vending the seventh version of this as part of their web services offering or whatever, like it, until it becomes commoditized, it's a big advantage to be able to do it in-house. And in some respects, like this is part of the thing that made Google into Google is they, they had a good idea for a search algorithm. And they eventually were faced with the problem of scale of how to build their data centers and, you know, how to do all this stuff. And they did a lot of stuff in-house that for a long time gave Google abilities that other companies didn't have to scale out to worldwide data centers to give good performance to everybody to do these really complicated things, right? Uh, And they had to build a lot of that in-house and they had to figure all this out. And eventually it started to become commoditized. Uh, to the point where Google itself is vending some of its cloud services. And of course, Amazon has its web services and so many things are built on that. And so now it is no longer really a competitive advantage, or at least not as big as it used to be, to be really good at setting up your data centers and having a strategy for you know redundancy and, and uh, being close to everybody in the world and, and dealing with large volumes of data. Because it's been figured out enough that if you want to get off the ground, you can bootstrap yourself onto one of these things and not not have to have this in-house. But machine learning is still at the point where if you want to do this, if you want to participate in this at all, you have to do it in-house because nobody has got it figured out and commoditized to the point where it's no longer an advantage. So Apple has to do this. Microsoft has to do it. Google has to do it. And Amazon, you know, they all have to do it. Um, and Facebook, for that matter. Uh, and it's kind of a, you might think it's like, oh, it's, isn't this like duplication of effort, but that's just called competition. So they all have to be doing it. And if if Apple wasn't doing it, we should be really concerned. So there is degrees. Like if they weren't doing it at all, we should be super concerned. All we're concerned about now is, okay, they're doing it, but are they doing it well enough to keep up with the big boys? And it seems like probably, yeah. But again, the proof will be in the products. They may be keeping up with the basic research, but when does that translate into making Siri better, you know, or does, is this all just for self-driving car tech? Cause that's, that's a big bet. You know, the, the, even the bet that Apple will be involved in all of that, because it seems like Apple's not making its own car. And if people who do make cars don't want Apple's technology, then all Apple's work is pointless because if the car companies don't want it, you know, Tesla doesn't want it, Honda doesn't want it, Ford don't want it, right? then who is the customer for this? Apple will have this great self-driving car technology and they can use it to power like the shiny white go-karts that you use to go around the spaceship campus. Great. Like that's it. You know, you've you got to get this into a car. And if you're not going to make a car, you better convince somebody that they should buy your thing instead of, you know, they're, because it's not like the car companies are sitting on their hands waiting for a technology company to offer them self-driving tech. Like they're not waiting on Apple. They're all doing their own things. So I don't know that that concerns me a little bit. So, so which Mac do you think the all this like AI and GPU development? Uh, which Mac are the people using who are developing this? I'm sure they're doing it all on PCs. You, 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 oh you, you don't think they're doing it on a uh, on a MacBook Pro? Well, if, if they are building their own custom GPUs, then you know it's like rack mounted servers. It's not like they're using X servers or whatever. But as they're sitting in front of their computers, it, you know, it, at a certain point when you're doing research, all you're using is a fancy terminal window to connect to the bigger computers where all the real action's happening. True, and I imagine that's the case because you're not you're not connecting to a computer it's like you know the giant mesos clusters or whatever so it doesn't really matter they could be using a, a, a you know a macbook one it's not the, the computing power of the thing they're sitting in front of doesn't matter as much well they they are typing though yeah they are typing but 
I don't know. Maybe they have people to do that. Isn't that what graduate students are for? The typing? <laughs> wow. All right. Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week, Pingdom, Automatic, and Betterment. We will see you next week. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Cause it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C A S E Y L I S S. So that's Casey Liss, M A R C O A R M E N T Marco Armin S I R A C. USA Syracuse, it's accidental. I've got nothing for the after show. Well, I still haven't watched uh, New Top Gear Episode 2 because you told yeah, me not to. Neither have I. Yeah, you totally bummed me out for watching it. Did you watch 3? No, not yet. Uh, so are you suggesting that I skip 2 and watch the rest of the season and then go back and you, watch 2? You, you'll miss out on all the continuity. <laughs> you, <laughs> I don't even know what's happening in Episode 3. There is actually a little bit of continuity, as it turns out, but... That being said, if you're pressed for time and or don't want to get briefly depressed, skip episode two. And then episode three actually, I think, has been mostly a return to what's right in the world. That's like the only podcast where I'm not talking about Westworld because I guess neither one of you are watching it. Nope. That's a show? Yeah. Hard to believe. Anyway. It was a game or a movie. Yeah. yeah. No. You you should. Uh, don't you have. Yeah. You have the HBO thing. You should. You and Tiff might want to try it. Like, the season's over. It's all 10 episodes are sitting there waiting for you to see it. There's not going to be a new season for, like, a year. So sometime during the winter, if you're bored and want to try a new show, I don't know. I go, this, this is not really up your guys' alley. But, I mean, whatever. I thought you it was science fiction. You might as well try it. It is. It's sci-fi. Well, well yeah, so that's not going to work. The main problem is that anything on HBO Go right now, uh, we basically can't watch because the Apple TV app for HBO Go has decided to just not work anymore. Like <laughs> That's great. So you, that's why you were airplaying from your iPad before when you mentioned it, right? That's the why. That is because... The Apple TV thing doesn't work. Yeah, like, oh man, the Apple TV is such a mess. I <laughs> I don't want to complain anymore about Apple stuff today. So I'm just, if you don't have anything nice to say, you don't say it at all. So I'm not going to be talking about the Apple TV in this after show. <laughs> I love mine. Mine works great. Now I don't I don't do terribly complex things with it, but Plex works great. The photos like screensaver works great. The screensaver works great. That's yeah, it does. I'm serious. No, <laughs> it, I'm serious because it doesn't on my Mac. That's a nice screensaver. I've got that. Uh, hey, we can we can get that out of the show notes. It's been in the show notes for what two years now. <laughs> oh, that? I deleted it. Did I delete it? Yeah, I had in the top of our document for maybe two years, maybe more, a link to be able to download the oh Mac, yeah, 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 Mac yeah. OS version Aerials, of the yeah. Apple TV screensaver yeah yeah which is really cool looking I mean it's not you realize when you see it on a 5k screen that all the all the movies and images are not enough resolution like they look great on your TV but they don't look great on your 5k iMac uh, but it's a cool screensaver and if you want to have that screensaver on your Mac and why wouldn't you uh, it is available someone like ported it like ripped it out of the Apple TV and ported it to GitHub because it's really just a matter of getting the correct URLs to pull the movies down and then having them you know just you know play on the screen um so if we can resurrect that link and put it in the show i have notes, it i have it 
Yeah, it's called yep. Arial, I think. Yep. Yeah, yep, that's right. It. And that's actually not what I was talking about on the Apple TV. I was talking about the thing where you point it at a uh, photo. Uh, what, the, what am I trying to say? The uh, a shared album. Your photo photos. library from photos so you can see pictures right. of your kids and stuff. Yeah, Exactly. And that works great. Now, that being said, this aerial screensaver, that's what I use on my work computer. Uh, and it's fantastic. I, I can't recommend it enough. Real-time follow-up. The chat room has informed me that I have HBO Now, not HBO Go. I know. I know. I've, I've, <laughs> I've given up correcting you on Just that. Just auto-corrected in your head at that point? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so whichever HBO thing I have doesn't work anymore on the Apple TV, and so I'm not really sure why I'm paying for it. Installing and uninstalling it, rebooting. I haven't tried turn off, reinstalling turn off yet. <laughs> wow. Oh God. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. I just I just want things to work. Why is this so much to ask? It's great that we have all this new stuff. I just wish it worked better. Well, you just use the new single sign-on feature, yeah. and, it'll, and it'll work fine. <laughs> yeah, it supports so many providers. Honestly, though, like I I wish. Like, I keep using the Apple TV because, like, I have tried the other things before. I've tried the Amazon whatever. I've tried the the uh, little uh, Roku whatever. Uh, I haven't tried the Google, the Google thing yet because I like real remote controls and don't use Android. So it kind of doesn't offer a whole lot for me. But uh, the other things are worse. And that's why I keep using the Apple TV because the Apple TV really is better than what's out there for many things that I that I want. But I just wish it was better than it is. Like... It's uh, like why when I pick up the remote when we haven't used it in a few hours, why does it not respond immediately? Why does the remote take like 10 to 15 seconds before like swiping back and forth on the trackpad actually works? Like what? It, it, maybe it's asleep for to save power when I'm not using it. But like how long does it take to wake up? Why when it boots up does it seem does it seem like it's been asleep the entire time and has literally updated nothing about anything ever. It's plugged into the wall. It can update whenever it wants, but it doesn't. Why, when it wakes up, does it always tell me there's no internet connection? Even though there always is. It's hardwired. It, it always has an internet connection. It's like, I just, I, I don't understand why this product is the way it is. And the it's frustrating because it's just like just like many of Apple products, it's frustrating that it has these flaws because it is still the best in the market for me. I still like it better than the alternatives, so I'm going to keep using it. I just wish it was better, and it seems like really basic stuff. The design of the remote aside, I've already you know worn that to death. Uh, but like, why doesn't it just work better? Why do I occasionally have to reboot it? It makes no sense to have these kind of shortcomings in this kind of product in this year. I remember when Marco wasn't going to complain about Apple TV. Do you remember that, Casey? Those days? <laughs> I, I do remember that. I do remember that fondly. That was a wonderful moment. Seems so long ago. I'm, I'm known for changing my mind. Oh, man. That, that was <laughs> yeah. a great day. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. It's. I mean, I have the same feelings about it. I, I can say one good thing, and you're mentioning the Apple TV remote. One good thing about the Apple TV remote that battery life is amazing. Like, this is not a big remote. That's true. The battery can't be that big in there. I'm trying to think. I think I've plugged it in to charge it once, ever, for this <laughs> for this Apple TV. Like, one time ever in my entire life. So, I have the big Apple TV, like the one that's too tall. So, whenever that came out, I bought it exactly when it came out, and I plugged it in once. So, that's good. Everything else you said, you know, is totally true. Although, my apps all work on the Apple TV for the most part. I still have the same problem of like 
waking it up and why does it take so long and why is it not all the time and like you know all, all those things happen but uh and also i'm constantly cleaning the gross stuff from my kids fingers off of that <laughs> trackpad because my kids are gross but yeah uh it, when it plays video successfully i consider it a victory and i just you know walk away but do you ha- is it just me do you guys have these problems with yours mine like i have like you know sometimes it will get like uh can't play your itunes video because of some like whatever weird itunes server error and i get the sluggishness and that it's not reacting to my things and stuff like that but for the most part it plays video eventually and plays it through successfully without dying in the middle i just want like like when when it's being non-responsive or when it's being seemingly very heavily loaded with background tasks like what is it doing because like it doesn't support background operation of apps it has a few things where like it, like you can like refresh certain feeds for things that appear like in the carousel up top and everything but it's really very few of those things and it's fairly decent ios hardware inside there running you know a nice stripped down version of ios software that doesn't have a whole lot to do and it's plugged into the wall and has a constant internet connection so it can do things whenever it wants to in the background i, I just i don't understand like what it's doing why like i assume it's file io because anything i can blame on hfs plus i will right because like i it's gotta be it's gotta be file io because it's not doesn't have fast storage like the storage you know it's 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 flash storage but it's not fast flash storage and if it you know and because hfs plus is still single threaded and only one process can be accessed you know writing to the file system at a time that's a potential bottleneck and if you've seen anything having to do with ios devices like when if you hit update all on a bunch of apps that if you're still an old person you manually update your apps like i do you know that will cripple your phone you know like you can let it update stuff but as it's doing anything having to do with like pulling down things and messing with your file system everything is going to be super slow during that time um, so that's my guess for what it's doing. Like what it's doing in the background is doing something having to do with lots of file IO. Uh, and that just bogs everything down. I guess. But APFS will fix all this for you. It just, I just wish it was better again. Like why, why is this not better? Just get better. You're not working on it, Marco. Uh, no, <sighs> I, I occasionally have a little bit of unresponsiveness from the remote, when I first grab it, but I've taken to, and to me, I don't find this as unreasonable, but I presume that Marco, you're going to find this completely egregious. I just mash down on the, the, and click the, the trackpad or, or the home button, either one. I tend to click the trackpad because it's a bigger target, but yeah, the home button or the trackpad, I just mash down on that like five or six times. And then as the TV, the Apple TV is starting up and, and usually as my TV is also starting up, which although I have a fine tv like it's a reasonable tv but it takes an eternity to turn on so anyway as i'm waiting for all these things to turn on usually the remote is woken up there's been a couple of occasions where it hasn't or maybe the remote has gone into sleep mode before the apple tv has but if i mash on a button for a second it starts working like i don't i don't really have any problems and the only apps i typically use on my apple tv are plex which is probably 90 percent of the time it's an airplay receiver for spotify a, a not unreasonable amount of time and netflix and for those uses which admittedly I, i'm not trying to say these are terribly complex uses but for those uses works pretty darn reliably for me i did get the big one because it was a gift from aaron and she wasn't sure if i would want the bigger one or the smaller one i doubt that makes a difference but for what it's worth i do have the the, the higher capacity one but yeah i mean it, it definitely has problems from time to time but generally i found it works great 
I do the same thing with uh, when I know I'm going to be watching them on Apple TV. The first thing I do is I hit the the home button on the Apple TV. Not that it, because I expect it to do anything, like the little one that looks like the TV button, but because it will turn the Apple TV on. So I hit, I do that first, then I turn my TV on, then I turn my receiver on. Don't tell me about Unos remotes. I'm turning it to Casey here. I know all about them. But anyway, <laughs> They're terrible then everything too. is essentially ready at the same time. But I have developed that habit because if I do it the other way and get everything all turned on and then switch to the Apple TV input and then grab the Apple TV remote, the Apple TV is asleep. And my Apple TV is plugged into the wall like everyone else's. It's connected to gigabit Ethernet. I would love for it to be doing more. My, my PlayStation 4, both of them, will download entire multi-gigabyte games when they're quote-unquote off like the fan is not spinning right it's still plugged in it's still in its sleep mode but while it's in its sleep mode it will download game updates for me it will charge my controller it is doing so much more work for me than that stupid puck that apparently does nothing until i turn it on (laughs) i should also note that uh when i grab my apple tv remote uh in or and the tv is off hdmi cec i almost said c and c uh as in like the the music factory yeah, exactly, or the music factory. Um, the point being, uh, I mash down on the button, and then the TV turns itself on. Now, I will I will say that the TV does not always switch to the right input, but with 99% reliability, the TV does indeed turn itself on when the Apple TV comes on, which is nice. I don't know. Maybe I'm just a special snowflake. No, I mean, like, this is what's frustrating. It's like, this stuff works, like, 90% of the time. <laughs> it's like, it's really frustrating that it's not 100%. And I know it's really hard. I know it's really complicated, but... Like certain things that don't work just seem like they really should. Like the responsiveness of the software and the remote. Like that's uh, I just a lot of it is the trackpad itself. I always feel like it would be more responsive, but part of it is the awkwardness of swiping that little thing. It just doesn't feel like that's why I often use it as a D pad. I don't do the swiping. I will hit. I will click the edges, which is in itself is a strange motion, but I find it. I find it more reliable that I know I've done the motion then especially like up and down flicking with like your thumb and it's it i don't know i'm i i'm not a trackpad person at all and i i feel like i feel like a disconnection between them uh between those motions and the thing even just like whoever came up with the idea that selection state is going to be represented by by making some of the rectangles bigger i don't think it's a particularly successful idea because very often i have to double check you know by looking at the screen to make sure the rectangle I think is selected is selected. Like a big hunk and blue outline would certainly be uglier and less elegant, but it would let me know better than... And, and you know, it's obvious in a screenshot. It's like, you can't tell what's selected. Look at this rectangle. It's poking out in front of everything else. It's overlapping them. Clearly, it's the one that's selected, but it's it's not obvious enough, I think, to, you know, like the, the elegance benefit of it and the aesthetic benefit is outweighed by the, the usability thing. I wish, I wish there was more of like a glow or a prominence about it. Um, and then when I'm trying to use the swiping to move around to get to the Netflix app or whatever, overshooting and having to go back one is definitely a thing. Um, and that's frustrating. And I don't like hitting the D-pad going left, 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 down, down, down. That's frustrating too because I see it and I could just I could get it with a mouse instantly. And if it was a touch screen, I could touch it immediately. Having to go left, 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 down, down is a pain. But at least I can count the number of less and the number of downs and I know I'll land on it. Having to go swipe is the bottom of the barrel where... I have to go swipe, 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 down, down, but I don't know how many times I have to swipe because momentum may bring me over and then I have to correct, and it's just not a pleasant experience. Um, And when I talk into the remote, like, I've almost given up on that because Siri really frustrates me, and they're like, when are you ready for me to talk, Siri? And they keep changing it, like, oh, it's always listening, just start talking, but often I start talking, and then it goes boom in the middle of me talking, and I know it's not 
it didn't catch half of what I said. And when I tried talking to the remote, I hold down the, the microphone button. And I, oh, I never always wonder when it's safe for me to talk. Do I have to wait for the little rainbow colored thing to show up? Can I start talking now? <laughs> and very often it takes two or three tries. And it's often still better than the alternative of navigating <laughs> to an app. But yeah, uh, I'm ready for the next version. I'll keep buying these Apple TVs the same reason you do. Oh, the, the other reason I have that Marco perhaps doesn't is I'm essentially out of inputs at this point. Right. So <laughs> if I want to try something else, I have to evict something. And I've locked myself into the Apple ecosystem with all the iTunes, like movies and stuff that I bought. So I have to have an Apple TV. So I'm going to keep buying them. Uh, and I'm ready to buy a new one anytime Apple wants to make it better. 